I don't know who that was, but thank you. So uh, Chris said we're wrapping up our Brain Game series, and it's been a fun series. I didn't actually know I was wrapping it up till last week. Uh, Mike said that I was going to be wrapping it up, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. So uh, it was cool because we were able to study how our brains work, and as much as I don't know about how our brains work, it was cool to learn a lot through this series and see how God designed our brains and how that ties into Scripture. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a very powerful subject, uh, and that's not to belittle any of the previous uh, weekends because they've all been great, but we're going to talk about how our brains process addiction and temptation. And I think the first thing many of us might think when we think of those words, it would be uh, something to do with cigarettes or alcohol or drugs. And while I will discuss those addictions, I wanted to point out that there are many more addictions that can affect us. But before we get to that, since we're in the Brain Game series, I wanted to talk about how our brains process addiction and temptation. And since I'm not a doctor of any sort, other than when Mark Burgess comes up and greets me with a mighty handshake and calls me doctor, I, I don't think that counts. So, um, so I'm, not, I'm not overly familiar with how the brain works. However, I did read a great article posted on Harvard, uh, Harvard's mental health letter, and the following paragraph really sums up really well how our brain processes this. So when it comes to the question of what causes addiction and what happens in our brain when we're dealing with addiction, this next paragraph uh, covers that really well, so bear with me. The answer involves the nucleus accumbens, a cluster of nerve cells that lies beneath the cerebral hemispheres. When a human being or other animal performs an action that satisfies a need or, or fulfills a desire, the neurotransmitter dopamine is released. Have you guys heard that word before, dopamine? Hands up. If you've been here at least one week, you've probably heard that at least once. And this produces pleasure. It serves as a signal that the action promotes survival or reproduction directly or indirectly. The system is called the reward pathway. And when we do something that provides this reward, the brain records the experience and we're likely to do it again. Now, damage to the nucleus accumbens and uh, drugs that block dopamine, dopamine release in that region, they make everything less rewarding. In nature, rewards usually come only with effort and after a delay. I really like that last part, partially because I can understand what it says, but the other reason is, uh, it says, in nature, rewards usually come only with effort and after a delay. So typically, when you experience a reward of some sort, it's gonna be something that takes work, the result of something that takes time. So often, when you're giving in to temptation and, and you're dealing with addiction, uh, it's because the desire to fulfill your dopamine release instantly instead of something that could take time or work. So keep that in mind uh, next time uh, you're feeling tempted or next time you're dealing with an addiction. So that brings us to our next point. We know a little bit about the brain now and hopefully you remember at least something of what I just said. I think I probably forgot a little bit of it already, but that's okay. So according to the American Society of Addiction Medicine, the definition of addiction is the following. Now this one's also kind of long and has a lot of big words, so just follow along. Addiction is a primary chronic disease of brain reward, motivation, memory, and related circuitry. Dysfunction in these circuits leads to characteristic biological, psychological, social, and spiritual manifestations. This is reflected in an individual pathologically pursuing reward and or relief by substance abuse or other behaviors. Addiction is characterized by the inability to consistently abstain impairment and behavior control, craving diminished recognition of significant problems with one's behaviors and interpersonal relationships and dysfunctional emotional response. 
Like other chronic diseases, addiction often involves cycles of relapse and remission, and without treatment or engagement in recovery activities, addiction is progressive and can result in disability or premature death. Okay, what in the world did that just say? I read it to you, but it was off the paper right on my mouth, and I hope you guys picked up some of it. And like I said, I'm not a doctor, so all those five-syllable words, I, I wasn't a huge fan of that. So here's a summary of what I think it means, something that you guys can probably chew on a little easier. Uh, I broke it down into five sections that I pulled out of that. One, addictions are chronic diseases, meaning something that sticks with us for more than a period of a few months. So this is something that is not quick, and you're going to be able to kick by yourself very quickly and easily. Uh, two, when the circuitry in the brain that deals with uh, rewards and motivation and memories, when it malfunctions, it can have consequences from physical to spiritual consequences. And I think that's so fitting because that's what we're going to be talking about today. Addiction is characterized by the inability to abstain from behavior. So if you're thinking, am I addicted to something, can you stop doing it? Addiction is often, uh, often has cycles of relapse and remission, so you, you can go back to it. You can be out of it for a while, then go back into that cycle of addiction. And the last one, addiction can lead to premature death. Just let that one sink in for a second. Addiction can lead to premature death. Now, I'm not saying that your minor addictions to watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians or... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or your addiction to shopping is going to land you in the morgue prematurely. But the habits and cycles that you go through with many of the things that you deal with, and you might not consider them to be major, they can have negative consequences in your life. Possibly not death, but, but possibly death depending on the addiction. So I wanted to talk about a few types of addictions because I think a lot of us might think, I don't deal with any addictions. I don't have anything that I constantly go back to. But, but I want to point out some of these, and maybe one of these will resonate with you, and you'll think, okay, maybe I need to be a little more conscious about what I'm doing with my time. So the first one I want to talk about, uh, this would be social media and texting and phones and technology. And, and that could be like four different in itself, but because I only have so many minutes, we're just going to sum it all up. The information overload that you take in from that. So you have your phone in your hands, and many of you probably do right now. Some of you taking notes, some of you reading scripture, which I don't know why you are yet. That's great, but I haven't gotten to any. Um, some of you are just Facebooking or Twittering or uh, Snapchatting, and uh, you can Snapchat a picture or video of me. That's cool. Hashtag David is awesome. So uh, this, this addiction is one that affects many people, uh, not, not just young people, but young and old alike, and it's something that hasn't been around for many years, so this is kind of a new addiction. Um, the next one is food, and the rest of these I have a picture or something to visually represent it so you can remember it a little better because I know after I'm done preaching I won't remember a lot of this, and if I'm the one who studied it and I don't remember it, I don't know how you guys are expected to remember it, so I'm putting pictures up of delicious food. So uh, this may not be the first thing you think of when we're talking about addiction, but there are many people who struggle with an addiction to food, and while a lot of those people can deal with uh, overweight issues and obesity, that's not always the case. Uh, food is also used as a coping mechanism for a lot of people. The next one would be gossip, and bear with me, I'm going to go through these quickly because there's a lot of them. Gossip affects many, many people. Some people have this desire and this craving to hear the latest about uh, their so-called friends and family, and uh, they want to keep up with the latest celebrity news too, and they justify uh, celebrity gossip by saying, well, I don't really know them, or they're not real people, I'll never meet them, so it won't hurt anyone. And then when talking about people they do know, they justify that gossip by saying, at least I'm not saying it to their face, and they're not going to hear it from me, so it's not going to hurt them, but that is absolutely wrong. 
That is absolutely wrong. A common one among Christians and people in the church, gossip is hidden in a phrase like this. Well, did you hear about so-and-so? You really should keep them in your prayers. Christians love to do this. We use prayer as an excuse to gossip, as an out. We will be telling all about this and that of people, telling all these details that we don't need to share, and we say, but, but make sure you pray for them. And we think that the gossip is okay because we sandwich it in this attempt to pray for them. So that is not okay. That is not okay. The next one, shopping. Shopping is one many people joke about. I'm addicted to shopping or I'm addicted to spending money. And uh, a big problem with this one is uh, people can go shopping to relieve stress. And it's kind of ironic because a lot of times that stress is caused directly by financial difficulties. So you can see a cycle here. Shopping is an addiction that means uh, you're out and about and, and you see something and you buy it. And not that you need it, but you just have this desire to spend money. It gives you a high. It releases dopamine in the brain. And sometimes this addiction can lead to deep debt. Again, it's ironic. So you're opening store credit cards and you're maxing them out. You're only making minimum payments. And again, it's having serious financial repercussions and you're getting into more debt and you're getting more stressed and you're shopping more. So, so keep that in mind. Gambling, similar to shopping, gambling is a form of impulse control disorder. People who deal with this often continue to do it because of the excitement and the thrill of the possibility of winning, but, but guys, the house always wins. So they, they get this excitement from the possibility of winning money back or winning more back than they, they're investing and that's investing, that's really not the right word because it's really not an investment. Um, if you really want to have a lot of fun with your money, drive down the interstate and throw a bunch of 20s out the window and look behind you. There's going to be a lot more entertainment there. <laughs> but, but similar to shopping, gambling can have horrible financial repercussions. The, the next one I'm going to spend a little bit more time on, and, and this one is, is really important. Now, uh, the next one I'm talking about is sex. Now, parents, cover your kids' ears, or, or better yet, let them hear this one. Sex addictions can affect many, many people, and it can be disastrous. Parents, listen to this statistic here. Did you know that nine out of 10 boys are exposed to pornography by the age of 18? So I'm gonna take a brief break from this and I wanna point out a few statistics here. I found these on a website that tries to help people who are dealing with this. And the first stat that I just showed you there, they've got a little picture of it. You've got the nine out of 10. Um, the first exposure to pornography among men is on average 12 years of age. 12 years of age, now that's an average. That means some people don't see till they're older, but that means some people see it even younger than 12 years old. 71% of teens hide online behavior from their parents. Parents, you must be aware of what your children are doing online. And if they have a smartphone, which I know a lot of students do now, you have to be on top of it because they know how to use that better than you do, and you need to be aware of that. 32% of boys and 18% of girls have seen bestiality online. These statistics are, they're disgusting and they're, they're really hard to chew on and, and listen to because they're true and you just wouldn't think about that. Could we go to the next slide? This one deals with young adults, so that was teens. 51% uh, of male and 32% of female students first viewed porn before their teenage years, so 12 and younger, we, we kind of covered that. 64% uh, of college men and 18% of college women spend time online every week for sexual-related reasons. 19% of 18 to 24-year-olds have sent a sext. That is a sexually explicit text message. And then we have one more slide with some of these stats. Now this one is really, really important. This one deals with pornography and sex in your marriage. 
68% of divorce cases involved uh, one party meeting uh, a new lover over the internet. So not necessarily pornography directly, but meeting someone online. 70% of wives of sex addicts could be diagnosed with PTSD. So the effects that the women are dealing with after a, a man that they've been with, their husband has been dealing with this, they have similar effects to someone who has been overseas in the military fighting and seeing a horrible, horrible thing. Those who have uh, committed adultery, they're 218% they're more likely to look at porn. So if you have gone with someone outside of your marriage, you're over twice as likely to deal with this. Um, and and this, is, this is something that is so, so important that we realize is a problem because as parents, we need to be modeling good behavior for our children, but we also need to be aware of what they are exposed to online and with their friends at school and in the world. So back to the message. Parents, when I said uh, I wanted your kids to listen to this one, I wasn't joking because... As you saw, the average age that men are exposed to a visual representation of sex is 12. And these, these stats are staggering, but, but they're true and they're, they're hard to take in, but we need to be really conscious of that. And I know this, this topic seems really deep, but that's because it is. I know that some of those statistics are unsettling, but, but those are the facts, and we really need to get a grasp on this addiction because it's spiraling out of control. I spent a little more time on this one because I've seen relationships destroyed by this very thing, and it's not something that should be taken lightly. If this is something that you struggle with, I encourage you to seek help, to talk with someone, talk with your spouse, talk with a close friend, talk and pray through it. You have to get accountability. You cannot do this one on your own. So back to our list. The next one I want to talk about is coffee, and I expect to get a, a few chuckles out of this one because I'm willing to go out on a limb here and say that more of you than not had coffee this morning. You had caffeine of some sort and uh, it's probably brewed at home or picked up at five bucks, I'm sorry, Starbucks, uh, or a gas station, but many people say they can't function without caffeine and uh, typically that's in the form of their morning coffee. Exercise, now you might not think this is something you could be addicted to, but people who get addicted to exercise can struggle with their body image and uh, I mean, obviously, that's, that's not something I deal with, but uh, I don't know why you guys are laughing at that. So uh, while, while self-improvement isn't necessarily a bad thing, it can end up getting out of control quickly. And another reason that people uh, seek this option is because they get a high release by the endorphins um, that are released when the body is exercising. So either self-image or just the high of the endorphins that are released while exercising. Um, the next one I'm going to talk about, uh, drugs and alcohol and tobacco. These could really be three separate categories because they're all so different, uh, but since they all have a similar effect on the body in that they elicit a physical dependency on them, I'm putting them in the same category. And uh, you might think that someone who's on drugs or is addicted to alcohol is someone who has a low moral standard or a screwed up moral compass, and, and that just might not be the case. These addictions cause very severe chemical dependencies that without proper help can be very difficult, if not impossible, to break. So people who struggle with an addiction to hard drugs, they, they often end up hurting themselves, uh, both through the drugs but through relationships as well, and they end up hurting the people that they love the most. And we'll talk more about this one in a few minutes, but... Uh, sometimes our addictions can have a hold on us and we don't even know it. So just kind of look at it like this. Any pleasurable activity, because of the way the brain is wired, can become an addiction if it's not kept under control. So we need to be conscious of that and we need to be on the lookout. So let's look at what God's word tells us. In 2 Corinthians 4, 
verses 8 to 10, it says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. And we are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. And through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also seen in our bodies. You see, when you're looking at these temptations, these addictions, we don't have to worry about getting through these by ourselves because God's word tells us that Jesus already won the battle for us. In many of the 12-step programs that addicts use to overcome their addictions, the programs include many references to a greater power or to a God or for our our point for what I'm talking about today, I would say that these programs reference the God. Some of the 12-step programs include steps like these. You have to come to a belief that a greater power than ourselves can restore us to sanity. You must admit to God, ourselves, and another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. You must be ready to have God remove the defects from our character, and you must humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. Steps 11 and 12 in a lot of these have to do with prayer and spiritual awakening. So you see, the world is seeking truth. The world is seeking God. And in many of these programs, a huge key in the success for these programs has to do with involving a greater power than ourselves, has to do with involving God. And you know the reason for that is because God is the one who created us. He knows how our brain chemistry works. He knows how our impulse disorders can affect us. He knows how we work because he built every single part of us. He is the ultimate authority when it comes to overcoming these addictions. So what else does God's word say about addiction and temptation? James chapter four, verse seven tells us, resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Also, I wanted to clear something up here. Many Christians feel like they are in sin because they are tempted, but temptation itself is not sin. Jesus himself was tempted, and the devil will try to make you feel like you were in sin. He wants to make you feel guilty because you're being tempted, but that's not right. Being tempted is not sin. Moving forward, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 says, The temptations in your life are no different than what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So you might think you're the only one who's facing these temptations, and you say, David, or preacher, or whatever you want to call me, I'm dealing with something that no one else is dealing with, and you don't understand, and you're right, I might not understand what you're, you're dealing with, but God does. And you think that you're the only one dealing with this, but that's directly contradictory to what God's word tells us. In addition Uh, to God's word, I wanted to equip you in your battle with addiction and temptation. And uh, I found a few acronyms, one I've heard before and I've listened to a few times. And uh, one of them I just found this week and it's very similar but it covers a few extra things. The first one is this acronym HALT. And that one's kind of easy to remember because when you're thinking of addiction you think I need to stop. So the H stands for hungry. When you're hungry, addiction can affect you more seriously when you're angry when you're lonely, and when you're tired. The next one is one I just learned, and it covers some of the same things. It's called uh, blast. So this one is boredom. And I know that when you are bored, when you're looking for something to do, that's when Satan 
will try to get you. And uh, I've heard this saying, uh, idle hands are the devil's playground. And uh, with boredom, I think that one's very, very true. Uh, loneliness, again, just like with the other acronym, agitation or anxiety or anger, uh, stress from work or financial situations, and then tiredness again. So whenever you're feeling any of these things, you need to be uh, aware, you need to be hypervigilant when it comes to temptation and addiction because when you are in one of these feelings, when you're experiencing this, this is a time that Satan will really try to get you and he'll try to get you to give in to your desire and your temptation. So we just read that passage from James uh, saying that if you resist the enemy, he will flee. And I want to give you a snippet of scripture that carves out an exception in that um, the concept that resists Satan and he will flee. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside his body, but he who commits immoral sexual sin sins against his own body. So scripture tells us that we need to resist the enemy and he will flee. However, when it comes to sexual immorality and sexual sin, we are supposed to flee from it. There are times when I'll be with Taylor at home and uh, she'll be watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians or similar shows and I'll tell her that she just has to turn it off while I'm home because I can't subject myself to seeing that. And I know it seems silly um, that, that I say that, but shows like the Kardashians and America's Next Top Model or Dancing with the Stars, they've got women dressed in enticing fashion and in attempting fashion and, and that's not by chance. They do that on purpose to get male viewers to watch and increase the ratings. And while watching these shows may not directly cause me to sin or may, not, may not be sinning for you, it can be a, a gateway drug to another worse sin. So I tell her I cannot watch these shows and, and she can't have them on when I'm home. And I don't say that because I'm a weakling and I don't say that so you think I'm holier than thou or anything like that. And it's not because I can't manage sin and temptations. I tell her this because I'm human. I tell her this because I'm a man. And I know that if I want to remain pure, if I want to remain devoted only to her, that I need to cut out any chance of sexual immorality. I need to flee from sexual immorality. So I tell her, don't watch those shows when I'm at home. I'd prefer you don't watch them at all, but don't watch them when I'm at home. Don't have them on the DVR because I don't want that temptation in the house. So at this point, I want to change gears a little bit. I'd like to invite uh, Caleb Smith to join me on stage. And uh, Caleb has some experience dealing with some of what we talked about today, and uh, he's agreed to share his testimony with us. So why don't you give him a warm Church 214 welcome. Thank you. Caleb, you're looking looking good today. I'm going to shake your hand here. Yeah, apparently we matched today. Yeah, so his wife told him not to wear plaid because she said I would almost undeniably wear plaid. I was talking about the weight. Oh, oh. Yeah. Right about the same weight. All right. Close enough. So... uh, Caleb was able to share his story with me this week, and uh, it's really powerful, and it, it dealt a lot with what we're talking about. Um, so we asked Caleb if he would be willing to share, and uh, graciously he accepted, and he is here today. So, uh, Caleb, why don't you give us an introduction and uh, tell the church who you are and give us a little bit about your life. Yeah, so those of you who don't know me, I'm 29 years old. This year's kind of tough. I'll be 30 this year, so it's kind of ridiculous. Anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, I grew up in Pekin, which isn't very far from here. I moved over to Pekin when I was about two from Champaign. I grew up with my mom, dad, and brother, and uh, we kind of struggled with a lot of stuff growing up. My parents would separate, and, and they would get back together and always argue, and it was just really kind of a dysfunctional family. I grew up what I thought was normal, playing outside, riding bikes, skateboarding, 
during the winter months. I played hockey, really enjoyed that. But growing up, my father battled an addiction with drugs and alcohol. And my mother basically just worked overtime. That's all she did basically to cope with the pain. Uh, my father was often dodging jail, bouncing from job to job, and arguing with my mom, and uh, just kind of acting, acting in obscure ways to fulfill his addiction. Uh, my father's primary drug of choice was heroin, so it was pretty, pretty uh, intense growing up. As you may or may not know, it's known, like David said, for the physical dependency. So it's more or less if you don't have the it's more or less like if you don't have the medication, you're lost and don't really know what to do. Uh, you, you told me about your grandfather this week. You said he was a preacher. Um, but with that in your family, did you have a relationship with Jesus? And did anyone else in your family outside of your grandfather have a relationship? Yeah, growing up, I wasn't really sure um, what a relationship with Jesus looked like. I do remember a lady coming and knocking on her front door when I was like eight years old. And she asked me if I wanted to be saved and live for eternity. At that point, I was eight. And I was like, sure, I'll live forever if that's what it takes. <laughs> I, I didn't really know what it meant, but you know, I went, I went ahead and went with it. Uh, spiritual leadership was definitely absent from my life. Uh, my parents didn't really go to church. They didn't do anything. You know, like I said, my dad dealt with the addiction and, and didn't really know, um, you know how to cope with his life. My, my grandfather actually passed away um, earlier on for my dad, so it was really challenging, and that's kind of what my dad did to cope with that. Um, so, yeah, my, my, my spiritual leadership more or less came with my, from my grandparents. And a little bit, you know, my grandfather, like I said, was a preacher down in Kentucky, but I didn't really know, you know, what he did. I didn't really know what it was about, so. What about, what about your dad's drug problems? How did that affect your family life? And um, you, you mentioned how your mom coped with that. How did you guys all cope with, with that? Yeah, so my dad attempted rehab countless occasions. Um, I mean, he even had some years of sobriety under his belt. So there were some years in there that were really, really nice to enjoy my dad's life free from the addiction. Um, but like David mentioned earlier, um, you know, addiction isn't necessarily some nasty drug addict that's just you know, out there just doing drugs and using all the time. My dad basically would, when he had the medication or the heroin, he would be like a normal dad to me. So it was, it was just different. When he didn't have the drugs, then he would just be, you know, he would, be, he would want it, he would be all over the place, and it would just cause animosity in our family. Um, we basically, um, I have no, I have no, I'm just going to go ahead and read this, because this story is really hard for me, but I have no doubt that my father truly loved his family, but he simply couldn't stand to face the consequences that he had. It really broke our family up to what felt like a billion pieces. And family life was just filled with conflict and constant argument. And like I said, my mom just coped with working more, so. Um, you kind of answered this one already, but how did, uh, how did this affect your parents' marriage uh, with this addiction that your dad had? Yeah, so during my freshman year of high school, my parents finally s decided to stop fighting the battle of addiction. And basically the process of divorce began. My mom couldn't take it anymore. Uh, my life grew filled with anger and hatred towards both my mom and dad, primarily towards my mom because I didn't really understand why she kind of gave up on my dad. But like I said, you know, the, the spiritual model wasn't there, the leadership wasn't there, so we didn't really understand that part of it. Um, so I just, I basically felt like she just gave up. Um, I was placed into counseling, advised to go to church from friends and family, and, and didn't really know what that was about. And at that time, I really didn't, didn't care to go because I was just mad and upset about it. What did, uh, when you were in high school, what did you do to stay busy? What did you do to try to stay away from uh, what you saw your dad go through and uh, s stay away from drugs? Yeah, so I constantly was just basically coping with the things that I did as a kid. I'd go fishing, hunting, and do everything just to kind of stay busy, just to kind of ignore it. Um, but, but over time, it was just, I was always curious why my dad used and why he went down that path and didn't really want to be with his family. So I eventually started going to parties and drinking and doing drugs myself.
So do you think there was a specific catalyst that got you to the point where you started using? I would say more or less just curiosity and the lack of connection that I had with my dad that I deeply longed for that I never really had. And I always really wanted to know why my dad chose drugs over his family. Gotcha. So you said the connection you didn't have with your dad. Um, when you started using, did that help give you a connection or make you feel like you were more connected with your father? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would say without a doubt for that. Uh, my father and I began to build a strong relationship. Um, he would always purchase alcohol for my friends and I, so ultimately in high school he was known as the cool dad. And, you know, he would hang out with us and basically built relationships with my friends, which in tune created a friendship that I never had with my dad. We were essentially best friends. We did everything together. I mean, it was just, it was awesome, you know, at that time. Um, it, it really just was a way for me to block the pain and deal with the divorce and deal with uh, the alcohol and the drug use growing up. And I always bounced back and forth between my, my mom's house and my dad's house, but I always primarily chose to go to my dad's just because it was more fun. Gotcha, gotcha. I think a lot of uh, divorced parents deal with that, uh, one of the parents being the cool parent and one being, uh, being the more down-to-earth or the disciplinary. So I, I can see how that could be, that could be hard on your family as well. Um, when, when you were involved with drugs, how involved did that go? How deep did that go? Did you just take them? Did you get other people involved outside of your father? What, what did that look like for you? Yeah, so as my relationship grew with my father, my curiosity for heroin definitely increased, and I always wondered why, like I said, why he chose that drug over his family. Um, so I'd always ask him if I could try it. You know, I just wanted to try it once, and he would never let me. He would always push it off and say, no way, I'm never going to let you do this. But eventually one day he gave in, and that was, that was what I decided to do. I, I ended up doing heroin with my dad and kind of building that relationship with him. I sold all my belongings, I did drugs, I sold, I sold drugs, I sold, um, we actually had a system set up. He would steal car parts for customers and I would go pick them up and then he would come um, and we basically, like if somebody needed a battery, we would install it and get cash on the side and it was really a messed up system and how I never got in trouble is beyond me. Um, so that's basically kind of what happened there. So where you're at now, um, there had to be a, a, a turning point, um, something that changed. What, what caused this and uh, what got you to the point that you're at now? Yeah, so I, I really believe that it came from more or less just hitting a brick wall. We, we, were, we were essentially building a really good relationship, a good bond, and then you know, the addiction got a hold of me and it was basically we were feeding a habit. I mean, we were feeding a habit of $120 a day you know, and it got really expensive and out of control. And we didn't really know how to continue to maintain that. And my dad was actually the one that encouraged me. He's like, hey, you know what? It's time to get help. This cannot go on any longer. And at that point, I really didn't want to because it was what I knew, and it's where I felt comfortable and numb the pain. So I ended up um, staying okay and told my parents. My mom was devastated. She had no idea this was going on. And my family more or less supported me to go to rehab and go to detox and, and get clean. That, that's, that's great. So, so do you think that... Um do you think that the addiction that people can face, someone who might be going through something like you, do you think that that is something that they should face by themselves? Um, I would definitely say no. <laughs> no way. Um, if I wouldn't have had people um, there for me when I was going through what I was going through, I'd still be stuck in the same situation. Uh, rehab definitely taught me about, like David mentioned, about addiction. And, you know, it just taught me how to numb the pain outside of drugs and alcohol. Uh, the 12-step program, like David mentioned, uh, the step two really stood out to me, and I wasn't really sure what it was about at the time, but it states that uh, step two in the, in the program is that we came to believe that the power greater in ourselves can restore us to sanity. And at that time, I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew that I wasn't going to do this on my own, so I had to figure out what that was. 
That's great. Uh, what what role do you think prayer had on your addiction cycle and, and your father's and and how did uh, how did prayer affect your father's eternity um, and how you got to where you're at now? How did prayer affect all of that? Yeah, I don't I don't think addiction or most life situations were really meant to be handled alone. Um, I have a quote that I really like from Donald Miller that I do want to share with you guys. Uh, people assume that when you're swimming in a river, you're supposed to know which way you're going. And I guess some of that is true, but there are certain currents that are very strong. And it's when we're in those currents, we need somebody to come along, pull us out, and guide us in a safer direction. So a lot of the times, you know, we can float down the river and just go with the flow, but other times we need to go back because we left something on the shore and we need help to pull through that. Um, I, thought, I thought I had the power to control my addiction myself, but I was definitely wrong. Um, I knew that this power in my life had to come from Jesus or something. Um, as I walked out the doors of rehab uh, facility in fall 2004, and I remember this specifically to this day, and it's going to sound kind of weird, but I remember just walking out of the rehab doors and looking up and seeing the beauty just of the fall, fall colors. And I, did, I didn't really realize that I hadn't, and, uh, and actually the lady that was there mentioned, she's like, you know, it's time to look up. And I was like, you know, okay, whatever. So I looked up, and I just, I just realized that I had my head down all these years just trying to search for something that wasn't there. And I just knew at this point that I needed to seek new friends and get on the right track. Ironically, Laura and I dated prior to a lot of this happening, and she was actually the one that invited me to church through a friend through AL Instant Messenger. So, I mean, I ended up marrying her, and she's right there, and she's beautiful. So that's, that's just really kind of really cool how God works there. Um, during, during that time, my, my, I built many friendships. I started going to church and started praying, and after I accepted Jesus, I basically just more or less had just a huge compassion for helping others and trying to help people to get through the same stuff that I went through. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 really stood out to me, and if you don't know that verse, I encourage you to look it up. Um, it was just really something that opened a window for me and just allowed me to understand that we have hope in Jesus and that I just began to pray through scripture and understand compassion. That's incredible. That's I feel like I answered your other question, but it's, it's okay. No, you, you answered, <laughs> you said exactly what needed to be said. It's perfect. Um, uh, last question for you. Um, where, where's your life now? And I think we've kind of seen a glimpse yeah, of that, that since, since you're here. Oh, you answered that question. No, I haven't. <laughs> what? I didn't answer that one. I know we did. We, you skipped one, but that's okay. Oh, I think you, all right. Sorry, guys. All right. Um, <laughs> So where, oh, I see. Now I, now I see why you're saying that. Cause yeah, you, you, you scribbled. That. That's okay. That's okay. Well, well, anyway, let me just share this. Just, just share that. That's <laughs> gonna be, it's going to be better than if I, I ask the question again. All right. I, I, know, I, know, I know that many, like David, I'm going to go back to this question because more or less we just need to answer the fact as to why prayer was important to my life and my father's life. And I know that when I was going to rehab, there were a lot of people praying for me. My mom, my aunts and uncles were all there for me, um, and some friends were there. At this point, I understood the power of prayer because it was able to get me through this. And I feel like, you know, hope is something that we have, and prayer is definitely the power um, that we have in our court. And I would often encourage my dad to get help, uh, and always, it always ended up in a diff difficult situation. I mean, he even, he even took time to get clean and live with Laura and I for a short period of time, and it was, just, it was just different. I mean, it was nice to have that, but it still wasn't, you know, where I thought he needed to be. And I would go from times of hope and just times of anger through prayer, and not to be counting, but it was like six years to be exact that I prayed for my dad on a daily basis. And actually in October 2011, my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer, and everybody thought my dad was going to pass away from a heroin overdose, and that was something that we always uh, were concerned about. Um, this really definitely broke my heart and made my prayer life incredibly hard. 
and I had been praying for my father for all those years, and I knew he was going to die, and immediate fear had sunk in. I didn't let it stop me because I knew now was the time to fall on my knees, and after a few weeks went by filled with chemo treatments and radiation treatments, my father never notified the doctors of his heroin addiction, and he was weak, sick, and depressed, but I kept praying. I knew these conversations were important and near the end, but at this time, I knew he was ready, and at this point, my dad actually accepted Jesus. Yep. That's, that's awesome. I, I didn't know that about your story until I was reading that this week, and it was just like the anticipation of you telling about your dad, and I was just wondering, I'm like, man, I hope this man knows the Lord. And, and then I read that, and it was, it was really cool, really cool to hear that. So um, where is your life now, and how has God blessed you since you've broken free of your addiction? Yeah, so this year it'll be 11 years clean for me, which is awesome. <laughs> And I, like I said, I'm blessed by my beautiful wife, Laura, here. Um, and we can continue to pursue Jesus daily. It's definitely you know, our, our ultimatum to change the family tree. And we've got two boys. We've got Elijah and Jonah. And I'm just, I'm just very thankful for the church and thankful for everything. And I guess Laura and I kind of discussed and just want to say that our prayer for the church is that we never give up hope. Um, if you guys are struggling with prayer, always fight and always continue to pray because you never know what could come out of it. Um, know that the battle has already been won through Jesus. So. That's incredible. That's incredible. Well, let's give Caleb a big hand. That that is awesome, Caleb. Caleb, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing with us. What, what an awesome story to see, to see someone who was so far from God and so far in the pit, to to realize what he needed to break free of that. It's such a powerful story, Caleb. Again, thank you so much. I know that story is going to change somebody's life in here, and and it's it's a really great story. So would you guys would you guys pray with me for just a moment? Father God, thank you for thank you for this day, Lord, that we can worship you and we can and we can learn about you and, and discuss your word, God. And God, thank you for Caleb and his family and his story, God. And thank you that that the beginning of his story, God, was not the end. But God, that you were able to take him and and break those chains of bondage and addiction. Lord, thank you that you are strong enough to break us free of any addictions that we might have, Lord. God, I lift up everyone in this place today. God, anyone listening to the podcast, Lord, everyone who's hearing my words right now, God, I pray, I pray that you would just put your hand on their lives, Lord, that you would put your hands on that addiction problem that they have, God, whatever it may be, whatever it may look like for them, Lord, I pray that you would have your hand in that, God, that you would give people courage to find someone to talk about, God that you would humble them and let them know that it doesn't matter what they look like at this point, that the fact of the matter is that we all need to break free of something, God, and that without you, that's just not possible, Lord. God, I pray that you would just give the person in here who is dealing with sexual addiction, God, give them the strength to talk to somebody, to seek accountability, God. Lord, I pray for the person in here who who has a, an addiction to technology and can't put their phone down, and they, they might not even realize it's a problem, but God, it's hindering real relationships in their lives, Lord. I pray that you would let them see that and get that under control, Lord. God, I pray for all the addiction types out here, God, from, from hard drugs and alcohol, God, to, to shopping and, and to food addictions, Lord. I pray that you would help everybody in here get this under control, God. Give them the courage to speak to somebody, to seek help, to admit that they are wrong, God, to admit that without you, we cannot do this, God. And that's not a sign of our weakness, God. That's a sign of your greatness. God, thank you that the people who needed to be here today, God, to hear this word were here, God. And thank you that you're speaking to them right now. 
God, thank you that addiction and bondage is being broken right now. God, I pray for freedom in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. I pray for freedom from addictions of all sorts. Those chains right now are being broken in the name of Jesus. You're going to walk out of this place a new person. The old is gone. And because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice on the cross, there is a new you. I claim that over everybody in here in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. I claim freedom and peace. And the rest of your life can be filled with joy and freedom from these addictions. Lord, thank you that you can save us and that you can break us free of these addictions and of this bondage. In Jesus' name, amen.